you would open with me to Galatians chapter 1, we're going to look again in verses 10 through 24. I will start us in a word of prayer, and we will read that text to begin. Glorious Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, we know that you are creator of all things, God of heaven and earth. Lord, we come this time of year to celebrate the birth of Christ, your son. And Lord, may our hearts be with great joy and gladness as we come before you today. Lord, that uh, we would know of your salvation. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, and renew us in this word that you've given us, Lord, that we would see your truth. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for all of us. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Galatians 1, 10 through 24. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. We looked last time at these same 14 verses. We found that Paul mounted up a defense to the fact that he was a true apostle of Christ and that the gospel message that he was giving had been given him directly from Christ, not from any man. It was not something that he made up. It was not something that he put out there to please men or to make it more 
palatable. We also saw that Paul was not a people pleaser. Even in his former life as a Pharisee, he was continually seeking to please God. And he was doing this as he was persecuting the church. He thought that that was the right thing to do in the eyes of God. In the beginning of chapter 2, Paul has given us the fact that he has now been spreading and teaching the gospel for about 17 years now. We come to this conclusion from chapter 1, verse 18. We see that he preached three years from the time of his conversion in Damascus and Arabia. And he left Damascus after three years, traveling to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Peter. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he indicates that he's been preaching Christ to the Gentiles for another 14 years at this point. During those three years he spent in Arabia and Damascus, we see that Paul started to make friends. I say that very sarcastically. If we would look at Acts 9.22, it says, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Paul here has been blinded by Christ on the road to Damascus. And now he has been given his sight back. He knows his message. It's been given to him by Christ. And it says that he was confounding the Jews in Damascus. How was he doing that? He was proving that Jesus is the Christ. He was proving it to them through their scriptures. He was throwing them into confusion. He was stirring up trouble among them because that is not what they wanted to hear. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, yet Paul kept proving it to them. They couldn't stop him. They couldn't have any refute to what he was saying. They did not have any rebuttal because he could prove in every aspect of the the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And he made such good friends with these Jews that we see in Acts 9.23-25, through 25, it says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night, so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. These people wanted to kill Paul. They wanted to kill him. They couldn't get rid of him. They didn't have a rebuttal for him, proving that Jesus was Christ, the Messiah. So they decided they were going to do away with him. And it says here they were wanting to kill him. They were watching the gates so he couldn't get out all the time, 24 hours a day. They wanted to put him to death. And his disciples took and lowered him out through a basket in the opening in the wall. I don't know about you, but I don't like baskets that much. I don't think they'd be that strong. But back in those days, these baskets were strong enough to 
carry large bales of things. So <laughs> it doesn't sound like a comfortable exit, though. <laughs> In our day and age, we see that most of the people that want to oppose us and want to kill people because of their practices, religious practices or opposition, is usually the Muslims in the Middle East countries. There are other, uh, I think the Hindus have a lot of issues with people too, but some of the most outspoken are the Muslims in the Middle East countries. And they speak out about putting people to death who do not believe what they believe. We view them as extremists. In our, quote, civilized world, we call them crazy. Most people in our society would never think to go and kill somebody because of their opposition to our spiritual beliefs. In our technological day and age, we seem to think the opposite. We see things, we read things, we come to know things, and we have a tolerance and an acceptance in many times to a fault to the different beliefs of people. And I say to a fault because many times it makes us afraid to speak the truth in fear that we would not seem to be tolerant. That we would be labeled as speaking hate. The government doesn't make this much easier. Uh, there's lots of laws passed for hate speech. We've even seen in Canada uh, pastors that people have known in this fellowship have been imprisoned because of their biblical stance on things such as homosexuality. And we're warned of this struggle in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, we see that the rulers of this world, the governments, the powers, they stand against Christianity. They stand against the truth. They're influenced by Satan, who is the ruler of this world, and the wickedness and the spiritual forces of that wickedness. Jesus also speaks of this in John fifteen sixteen through 25. Jesus is speaking. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. Christ gives us a message here that says, the world hated me, they will hate you also. He says, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We are slaves to Christ. There's only two types of people, a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. And we are slaves to Christ. Christ is our master. And look at what they did to him. They did it because he spoke his word, the word of his father. He even says here, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. He showed them their sin. And it says they have no excuse for their sin. He says, he who hates me hates my father also. He's saying anybody that hates Christ himself hates God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no way around it. And he says here, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they both seen and hated me and my father as well. And they hated him without cause. Nobody wants to be shown their sin. Nobody wants to be told they're doing wrong. They don't like that. That's exactly what Christ showed the world. Christ showed the world their sin, our sin. He showed us our sin. And they hated him because of it. And those of us who follow Christ are hated because of that. We come back to Paul. And Paul was seen as a blasphemer, according to the Jews, because of Christ. They felt that him proclaiming Christ as the son of God was blasphemy. Now they were looking for something that didn't happen at that time. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to come here to earth and take over the government and make everyone who persecuted Israel pay for what they did. That was what Israel was looking for in a Messiah. They wanted to be part of his kingdom where he was ruling with an iron fist on earth and he was going to make everybody else pay. 
but they were the chosen ones. And so, according to Jewish law, blasphemy, what they thought they, Paul was doing here, was worthy of death. And we know that Paul was once one of these people who carried out that sentence. We saw it with the stoning of Stephen. He was there guarding their coats. We saw it with what he did by rounding up Christians and bringing them to what he thought was justice. Many of them were killed. And he even said that he caused them to blaspheme in his sight. He had them tell him that Christ was Lord. He had them... It's it's no doubt that he had heard the gospel before. These people, I'm sure, were giving him the gospel. And that's what he thought was blasphemy at the time. He thought just like these people. However, these people had a special hatred for Paul. And we see the reason why in Acts 9.22. Paul, just like Stephen in Acts 7, was proving to them through their own scriptures that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Stephen did that. We saw that. Stephen did that in his defense when they stoned him. And they hated him for this to the point that they wanted to kill him because they thought it was the right thing to do. It seems that during the time Paul spent with Peter, Paul came to Peter in Jerusalem after the three years in Damascus. He was in the synagogue, and he fell into a trance. And he was given instruction from God to leave Jerusalem and this is recorded by Paul's testimony in Acts 22, 17 through 21. I'll just read it here. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I was also standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul went back to Jerusalem to go see Peter, and the threats were coming against Paul, even in Jerusalem. He hadn't been there in at least three years. But they were becoming so severe that the Jews were no longer willing to hear him. And just like the Jews in Damascus, they wanted to put him to death. And I know none of us have ever done this, but Paul decides he wants to argue with God about it. He seemed to be convinced that these people who he had a past reputation with, these leaders in Jerusalem, he believes that he could persuade them to understand and to accept Christ. Which seems kind of odd to me because 
he knew that those in Damascus weren't accepting of him. They weren't accepting of him. But he thought he could persuade them. Paul loses the argument. And he is told by God that he is going to send him out to the Gentiles. Because Paul's purpose, as we've seen before, is not to the Jews. It is to the Gentiles. And we saw that in Galatians 2, 7, and 8. We see this. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Now I believe that Paul had no delusions about this persecution that would come from the outside of the body of believers. Okay? I believe he somewhat expected the Jews and people from outside to reject what he was saying. And he himself brought on this persecution before his salvation. However, from what I've read of Paul, I believe that the persecution that is coming from inside the body of believers was something that surprised him. I believe that those proclaiming to be of Christ, who have come out of the woodwork from among the believers, was something that really he was not prepared for. And to say the least... It created a huge grieving in the heart of Paul. Acts fourteen, nineteen through twenty-three. One thing I like about Acts here in this text that we're in is that there is so much we can look at this text and we can go back and look at Acts and say that is the actual eyewitness recording of all of this. That is one thing I really like about this. Anyway, I'm sorry. We keep going to Acts, and I just thought I'd say that. But Acts 14, 19 through 23, starting in verse 8, Paul had healed a paralyzed man. And because of this miracle, people were trying to make Paul and Barnabas out to be Greek gods. They said Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. And they were bringing sacrifices to the temple of Zeus because of the miracle that was performed. And Paul restrained them from making these sacrifices. Which brings us to verse 19. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them 
to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul makes this statement here. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. See, Paul has come to know the consequences of being an approved man of God and preaching the true gospel of Christ. The approved man of God will suffer many tribulations, both from outside the church and we find also it also comes within. It also comes from within. He was stoned by those outside the church. It didn't seem to bother him so much. But when we see the tribulation coming from inside the church, his heart is broken. His heart was broken. We see this tribulation in Acts 15.5, where it says those who were believing, those who were proclaiming Christ, or proclaiming that they believed in Christ, the believing sect of the Pharisees, they came in opposition to Paul. And we see throughout Scripture, Paul has had to defend himself and the gospel to the Corinthians, to many others. Second Corinthians eleven twelve through 15 But what I am doing I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Paul even gives instruction to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which gives rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. In almost all of the letters that Paul wrote, he has to address the false teaching and opposition to the true workmen approved of God coming from within the church. From within the church. Paul wrangled with these people. He worked to no end to protect the church from these false teachers and false doctrines. It is enough to wear someone out. Constantly fighting the teachings of the false doctrine. Constantly having to set people back on a track that is true. Paul knows the consequences of teaching the true gospel and true doctrine of Christ. He knows also the joy, the joy that comes with the acceptance and watching those whom are leading as they follow 
and live out the truth. We see this very seldom in the writings of Paul. However, we see this joy from Paul and the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1, it's going to be verses 1 through 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescued us from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, Paul knew the consequences, both good and bad. He was a proved man of God. And he says here, with great joy, he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. You can tell. He gives thanks for them always. He says that the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And he says that they became imitators. He loves this. He's got this great joy. He's got a great joy. And he said that they were doing the things so they didn't, he didn't even have to say anything anymore. That was it. But again, many of these words that Paul is writing in these other letters are words of grief. And we see that here in this letter to the Galatians. We look at Galatians 6.17. Paul says, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. You see, the true teacher, the man who is not making up the gospel, the man approved of God, the man keeps fighting the battle. And the joy of the salvation of Christ is worth every 
one of those battle scars. Everyone. The true teacher is the one who can proclaim this in joy. Second Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul was a true man of God, the true teacher of God. He taught the true gospel. He finished the course. He kept the faith. He fought the good fight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you gave us these writings through your spirit from the Apostle Paul. Lord, he knew what persecution was. He had it both from the outside and from the inside, even to the point where they killed him for it. Lord, we in this country right now don't see that often. We don't see that often. And I think to a lot of us, we don't even see it as a reality. But Lord, throughout history and in other countries today, we know the true men of God who are preaching your word are being persecuted and killed for doing so. Lord, I thank you for the joy of seeing those who walk in your word and do it faithfully. Lord, that is such a great joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us and provided us. And I ask that we would see these things. In your name, amen.